The information provided in this show is intended for your general knowledge only and is not intended to be, nor is it, medical advice or a substitute for medical advice. If you have or suspect you have a specific medical condition or disease, please consult your health care provider. Now listening to The Health Hero Show with Tim James. <laughs> What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here, founder of ChemicalFreeBody.com and your host for the show that simplifies and demystifies how to live an energetic life with a flat belly. So if you're into a healthy gut and staying young, then this is the show for you. What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here with another exciting episode of The Health Hero Show. Today I have in the house Dr. Alan Christensen. And I'm really excited to have this guy on today. He was referred to me by a good friend of mine, Ashley James, um, who owns and manages the Learn True Health podcast. I was interviewed by her last year on her podcast, and we were talking about thyroid and the tremendous amount of thyroid issues that we're seeing with our, our clients today and just people in general. And she's like, oh my God, you've got to get Dr. Christensen on Uh, He's a board-certified naturopathic endocrinologist. He focuses on thyroid care. Um, He's also a New York Times bestselling author, and he's got this book called The Thyroid Reset Diet, which was really interesting because uh, using a food approach is always um, music to my ears. Um, And this guy's been on, you know, the the doctors and Dr. Oz and the Today Show. Um, So he's not just messing around. He's had his own clinic for 25 years, um, practiced, um, saw patients on a daily basis. Um, and, um, he's also behind the endocrine association of naturopathic physicians and the American college of thyroidology. So Dr. Christian, thanks for coming on today. Hey Tim. Good, good to be here with you. Yeah, this is awesome, brother. Um, I'm really excited because, uh, as we were talking out about before we got started here is that I've, I've seen so much so many problems, especially with women, women in their, you know, late twenties, thirties, forties, they're just really struggling with these thyroid issues. And it usually ends, ends up with them. You know, the biggest things I see are fatigue. Um, that's a big one. Uh, mental fog, uh, weight gain issues, big one. And they bounce around from all these medications and trying all these things and going from doctor to doctor. And, you know, I read your book and was almost like, oh, yeah, pretty much everything, you know, that I was experiencing with these clients is a lot of the stuff that you outlined in your book was like the same stuff. So how did you um, get into, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background, how how you became a doc, what was the big why behind it, and then how you got into this thyroid stuff? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I was a unhealthy kid. I had complications from cerebral palsy. I had seizures and I was very uncoordinated. And I, I hit a pretty painful crux by adolescence. I was obese. I couldn't do sports and really depressed from that. Um, I was a, was a bookish kid and I was always, you know, into science and uh, space books and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I hit this point where it was a real low point. I said, look, I've got to change somehow. And I started out of desperation, started reading health books. And I had fits and starts and, you know, some things worked, some things didn't, but I stuck with it and was able to uh, lose weight and get healthy and very gradually start to become physically active. And I just realized, you know, how big of a deal it was to have your health and how the, the sources that I thought should have given me the answer didn't give me the answers. It was stuff that I found by seeking out people like yourself that share answers with others. And applying that. And so it made it, made it going into this field, just a real passion for me. And in, in my residency years, I saw that people with thyroid disease, it was getting more common then we'll talk about those stats, but I was seeing them really struggle. And I saw that there was some, some partial answers in the alternative side, but I saw it hit or miss. And I realized too, that there were some valid points in the conventional side and I wanted to unravel it. And I just spent last you know, quarter century, do my best to do so. In the last few years, there's been an explosion of new research and that's what launched this book. So I'm happy to have a chance to share this with people. Yeah, it was really cool too. In the book, you've got like, you know, tons of recipes. You have these, you know, these different um, uh, levels or, you know, it's kind of like being a kid, red light, green light, except <laughs> you've got red light, yellow light, green light. And it looks like the the green light foods are the ones that are the lowest in iodine, the yellow light are kind of up the middle and the red light are the ones that have the highest. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I wanted you to share with me today is like, you know, in our, in our audience is that typical, you know, thought that I've been around is that when somebody's having um, thyroid issues, um, it's usually an iodine deficiency. And in your book, you were talking about too much iodine. So my questions, I've, I've got so many of them. It's like, where do I start? So I think the first thing, let's do this. Let's do this before we get into iodine is can you just explain in fifth grade level terms, what's the difference between hyperthyroid, which I know is high thyroid, you know, high level and hypo, which is low thyroid and, you know, hyper being like the Graves disease and hypo being Hashimoto's. Can you explain that and kind of, and, and break that down and what's the difference? For sure. The thyroid's the gas pedal to your car, you know, how okay. fast your car is going. So when the, the gas pedal stuck all the way down, I had some old cars that did that a few times. That's, that's hyperthyroidism. And when you run out of gas, that's hypothyroidism. And it controls how fast you burn energy, how fast you can break down fat in the body, how well nerve signals can go from your brain to elsewhere, and how well you can repair your tissues. So, so yeah, too much or too little. And it's, it's exacting stuff. You know, when it's off by the smallest amount, it can be life or death. And by the yeah. tiniest amounts, it can be just being collapsed or really being thriving. So somebody that has hyper or high thyroid versus somebody that has low thyroid, you have a completely different treatment regimen? You know, funny thing. So thyroid disease, those two different diseases are both almost always driven by the immune system attacking parts of the thyroid. Mm -hmm. In one case, it attacks the outside of the thyroid. So imagine you got like a short circuit on your doorbell and you always think someone's there, you open the door, but there's nobody there. That's hyperthyroidism. Your immune system is tricking your thyroid into thinking that your brain is asking it to work when it's not. And now hypothyroidism, that same immune attack is going at a different level and it's breaking down the insides. So in one disease, the gland is just too beat up to work. And the other disease, it's just being tricked into working, but they're, they're almost the same thing. So oddly, most types of thyroid disease are driven by the same factors, even though they can manifest in diametrically different ways. So what do you do if somebody comes into your clinic and they have um, hyperthyroid or Graves disease? Are those two of the same? They usually are. So yeah, hyper is just too much. And that could come from taking too much medication. But assuming that's not the case, 80% of the time, the cause is Graves' disease. And with Graves' disease, there's a funny loop that goes on to where too much thyroid hormone, it is harmful to the heart. It creates uh, panic, anxiety, tremors, insomnia. You're, you're, it's like you drink three cups of coffee or three pots of coffee even. It's not a good thing. And it also worsens the autoimmunity that creates Graves' disease. So there's a vicious cycle between too much thyroid hormone and then the autoimmune response that causes you to make too much thyroid hormone. So it does take lowering, it does take pulling down that extra hormone at first. But if you do that in conjunction with steps to reverse the autoimmunity, then 95% of people can have it reset within a year and a half to two years. Okay. So what you're getting at here is that there's certain things you could do for the hyperthyroid. Now, what about the hypothyroid? If somebody has hypolothyroid or Hashimoto's as it's called. Yeah, so exactly right. So Hashimoto's, that's the cause of probably 97% or more of hypothyroidism. And with that one, there's the same thing that causes it, that causes the autoimmunity is also a big part of what slows the thyroid. So the steps that we talk about in the book about regulating iodine, they can work for a good percent of people, even if the gland already has slowed down. Uh, there are those that are already on medication for it, and there's a little more nuance in treating them in those cases. But those that are not yet, only a small percent need to go on them if they are treated well in the early stages. So how important is it for somebody to not only go in and get treatment? You know, usually what, what happens is, you know, I talk to somebody, they got hypothyroidism and uh, doctors put them on level thyroxine. That's usually, it's like a knee jerk reaction. And then they might get some results for a month or two or three, and then it goes away. And then their weight gains back, their fatigue's back. It's even worse. Yeah. Then they go see a naturopathic doctor out of frustration or multiple doctors, functional medicine doctors, usually they end up at the naturopath's office and then they're on armor. So um, maybe you can explain that process of, 
you know, how people go, how they come into an office and they Western medicine, you know, level thyroxine end up at naturopaths. Have you seen that pattern a lot? Cause you guys are naturopaths. For sure. For sure. And yeah, to that, to that, that point, levothyroxine is one of several hormones that the thyroid makes desiccated thyroid, the natural form. It does contain more of those hormones. The difficulty is that the disease is a lack of hormone, but it's also a lack of response to the hormone. So there's two parts to it. And if it were just a lack of the hormone, then in theory, they should do better by replacing what they're not taking. And it does help some people to some degree, but the vast majority of people, like you said, they, they don't get better all the way in a, in a sense that lasts. And that's because it's not just that lack. It's also the body blocking the effects of those hormones. Mm. So how important is it to, for somebody to not only get that diagnosis so they know if it's hyper or hypo, um, but also to, you know, I'm sure you're going to recommend some type of medications or maybe if they're on medications, maybe just leaving them alone for the moment, but you're, you guys are more focused on dietary changes, right? You know, that's the exciting thing. And this is new over the last several years. There's been large clinical studies showing that with dietary intervention alone, between 70 to 80% of people can reverse thyroid disease in a few months. So that that's a cool thing. <laughs> well, yeah. So think about that. This, what he just said there, guys, that's kind of a big deal. So um, 70 to 80% success rate, but that still means, you know, there's 30, 20 to 30% of people that are going to struggle, but that's a big swath of people just by you know, making some lifestyle changes. So how important is it besides, you know, regulating medications and regulating iodine for people to do other things to support their immune system, um, like good sleep, um, moving the body, exercising. And, and again, when we say exercising, if you haven't exercised for a long time, I'm just talking about walking out to the mailbox and back and making that a habit. It's the habits more important than running a marathon your first day. I know you, you mentioned that you, you run marathons and stuff like that coming from, you know, a sick child. Now you're, uh, was it 52? You look great. For those of you listening, you can't see Dr. Christensen, but he looks fit. Um, he looks healthy and you know, that's important to me to have people like you on our show that are, you know, I didn't know you had the backstory that you're a sickly child and came through it, but it just, it makes sense. That's usually 99% of the people on my show had a severe issue they figured it out themselves and then they got passionate, either became a doctor, a colon hydrotherapist, a Reiki, a massage therapist, a coach, something they wanted to give back. So um, I think I got off on my question there, but um, so I guess how, Oh, how important is these other factors, sunshine, you know, vitamin D and, and movement and sleep and purified water and that kind of stuff to your program. You know, they're important. And I talk about those. The funny thing is that I think a lot about just, someone's global health, you know, they're, we're more than just a thyroid, you know, mm-hmm. so the, the studies that I mentioned, uh, what they would do is they would have people do one intervention only. And that was this iodine regulation that we'll talk about. And yeah, one of the more classic ones, 78.3% had their disease reverse in three months by just doing that. Of those who didn't, this is kind of bizarre. You could put them in three categories. So one group of people, apparently the instructions weren't spelled out well enough. They didn't try hard. I don't know but they really didn't reduce their iodine. And so they didn't get better, but they didn't really apply things. So you can put them aside. The remaining people who did apply it, there were some to where they just didn't budge, but there were others to where they were off by a huge amount. And by the end of three months, they weren't yet normal, but they were heading there. They were rapidly changing. So those who did everything, but didn't budge comprised about 3% of the participants. And all they did was this one change. This one thing was regulated. So I think, I think towards global overall health, all the things you mentioned are just hugely important, you know, longevity, well-being, lifespan, health span towards reversing thyroid disease. You know, one researcher said that iodine is not the only relevant factor, but it's more relevant than all the other factors combined. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, what I've noticed is like, I, you know, I tell everybody I'm not a doctor. I don't claim to be um, I was a redneck that grew up on a farm and had a lot of health issues and (laughs) just, you know, figured stuff out on my own. You know, I got, I got kind of lucky because a friend of mine got uh, uh, this incurable so-called cancer. He had chronic lymphocytic leukemia and um, wanted to go to the Hippocrates Health Institute in West Palm Beach, Florida, try to heal naturally and asked me to go with him. Are you familiar with uh, that? Loosely, yeah. 
yeah, it's, it's run by doctors, Brian and Anna Maria Clement. So I'm like, yeah, dude, I'll go with you. You know, I'll support you. But I thought I was going to lose another friend to cancer. And, um, they, they talked, they were really big into detoxing and nutrition and living foods and sprouts and sprouted nuts and seeds and grains and beans. And my God, my health just, I mean, in 60 days, I was like, I was in college again. My ribs were showing, I dropped almost 40 pounds. I mean, I felt fantastic. Um, it was kind of crazy from the redneck hunter to, you know, going completely plant-based at that time. But um, I felt so darn good. I'm like, I'm going to keep doing this. And my friend ended up healing himself with a little over two years. His uh, white blood cell counts got back into normal ranges and he's fine. It's been 10 years and he didn't have That's chemo awesome. or radiation, any of that kind of stuff. So I actually saw somebody that I know wasn't bullshitting me. Like he's my friend. I saw his cancer markers. I saw everything. I went to multiple appointments with him. I flew to Hippocrates with him and I watched him heal himself through lifestyle. You know, the choices, the foods he put into his body's into his body and you know and we learned other things too like i know there was a big chapter in your book about um uh other sources of iodine that can get you like cosmetics vaginal douches shampoos can you talk about that a little bit you know it's pretty wild but iodine's a highly permeable compound and any way that we interact with it it can come into our bodies we, we can breathe it in you know one study showed that populations that were coastal by massive kelp beds that airborne exposure contributed a lot to their overall iodine load. So we can mm -hmm. breathe it, we can ingest it through our intestinal tracts anywhere along the way, uh, mucous membranes, but also our skin. So it goes across our skin. 2016, the FDA restricted the use of iodine in hand sanitizers yeah. because they were seeing it affecting healthcare workers. They were getting higher rates of thyroid disease. So they have yet to act on it in cosmetics, but there is work toward that. And we do know that the amounts that we have in cosmetics uh, are comparable. And some cosmetics, the quantity that we use, and we just don't put them on and leave them on, you know, like they just wash off, but others we use in large amounts and they do absorb. So yeah, conditioners, uh, uh, face, face, face creams, body lotions, lipsticks, actually, these are all things where we absorb enough to where it can really add up. So this brings up a point, like one thing I always share with, with, my, uh, with my clients is to, if you can't eat it, you shouldn't put it on your skin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Because your skin is an or you are eating it. You are eating it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very permeable. It goes right into the bloodstream. There's no liver to filter it. Right. So it's, it's going, it's going into the body. Um, you mentioned iodine is being used to sanitize stuff. I read in your book um, that one of the big culprits of why there's so much iodine in dairy is because they're using um, iodine to sanitize the teats of the cows every day. I actually saw something yesterday. It was horrifying where they were taking a flamethrower and they were just walking underneath the cows and kind of just slightly burning their boobs going wow. from cow to cow to cow, probably to knock back the, um, you know, the bacterial infections. And I know they give wow. them hormones and antibiotics and and believe me, guys, like if there's, you know, I usually I'm, I'm all about the add and release method. So we add new good things to the life and let the other stuff just fall off. I'm not really into teaching people to quit things, but if there was a couple things to quit, one of them would be gluten and wheat. Um, and the other thing would be dairy products. I mean, I didn't realize this, but like in a glass of pretty good milk, like still has like a hundred thousand pus molecules in it. Right. Because people don't realize, you know, it's like, Cows are only supposed to have a baby once a year and be able to, you know, produce milk one time a year. And, and now they keep them in a constant state of lactation with these, these synthetic hormones. And then they develop an internal or systemic infection. And so, you know, um, what role has dairy played in uh, thyroid issues? You know, big picture, uh, thyroid disease was almost unheard of in the modern world until we started fortifying with iodine in 1924. From there, it was pretty steady until the 80s. It went up after fortification, actually 26-fold. So when You're talking about in salt, right? With iodized salt? Yeah, thank you. I didn't mention that. We started fortifying iodine in salt around 24. It wasn't a national mandate, but in the following years, thyroid disease went up, yeah, 26-fold, not percent. <laughs> uh, somewhere around mid-80s to early 90s, it started picking up again. And from there, okay. the next several decades, it's gone up threefold. And the two biggest dietary changes during that window was additional iodine in dairy products and additional iodine in processed grain products. Hmm. Well, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to get into this delicate balance 
of iodine and iodide in the human body. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm health coach Tim James from chemicalfreebody.com. We're offering you a great opportunity to try our health coaching for free. So click on the get offer button to book a free 30-minute health coaching call. Also, as a thank you for booking with us, I'm going to give you this uh, free copy of our gut detox guide for you to download. This is a $67 value. You're going to love it. We use it with all our coaching clients. I use it myself. So book your health coaching call right now, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, Health Heroes, Tim James here. I'm back with Dr. Alan Christensen. His book, The Thyroid Reset Diet, will be stick around at the end. Um, I'll give you guys um, a special link to, you guys can also go um, download some some really cool stuff and um, and get more information on Dr. Alan Christensen. So, hey, I want to talk about this um, this delicate balance. So around the turn of the century, you know, all these people had goiters, right? And they found out it was a lack of iodine. You know, I know like my, my friend, Dr. Anna Maria Clement, she said over in Sweden, iodine, it's out of the soil. Selenium's gone. These are both things that are very important to the thyroid. We need to replace those today. And, um, you know, a lot of people are like replacing it. So people have goiters, right? So the thyroid gets all jacked up. You get these huge lumps in your throat and it can be horrifying for, you know, visual looks. And um, so they, they put iodine in the salt and that seemed to take care of it. But a lot of the work that I read said they didn't put enough in. But what you're saying at the same time is we put iodine into the into the salt, the goiters dropped, but then we had a spike in hyper and hypo. So can you explain this? How does it help goiter, but at the same time cause all these other issues? And how do we find a balance? You know, it's a bizarre thing. Uh, it's unlike the story that would apply to any other nutrient. The range between too little and too much is crazy narrow. So the World Health Organization says that it's about 50 to 200 micrograms where we see the lowest rates of thyroid disease. And the funny thing is that the lower limit, there's not a big difference from person to person um, besides body size in terms of how much we require, but there is a big difference in how much we can tolerate. You know, many people, they can have extra and it's like water off a duck's back. It's no big deal. Mm -hmm. But other people cannot tolerate the extra and they're the ones who are prone to thyroid disease. So uh, Denmark was the most recent industrial nation to fortify with iodine. And they did it flawlessly. They went up by about 50 micrograms, which was mm -hmm. their target. And goiter rates did go down. Uh, quick aside, you can get goiter from too much or too little. And that's true for most issues mm. with iodine. So they did see goiter rate go down. They fortified in the year 2000. However, for 16 years afterward that they tracked, they saw an average annual increase of thyroid disease of all types by about 50%. And that's, that's what happens. Not, it's not only, it's not just the narrow range, it's just even a change, even, even a, a, a difference. So if you just change someone's intake, that's enough to unmask thyroid disease and those who are susceptible to it. So here's the big, here's the big question that I have. So our formulator of our products, Dr. Scott Treadway, um, you know, he's a master herbalist, studied in India, Chinese herbal herbology, master there, master in Western herbology. He had a clinic and did practice for 10 years, saw patients. Um, and now he formulates for, you know, 17 of the top supplement companies in the world. And we're one of them. And I'm really happy to have him on our team because he's, you know, he's in his seventies and his skin looks like he's 35. So he's walking the walk too. He's got crazy cool stories, but, um, the question here is, is we have iodine, versus iodide. Let's clear mm -hmm. that one up first. Sure. And then I'll go to the to the biggest question. So what's sure, the sure. difference between iodine versus iodide? Just one one is oxidized. So iodine is highly unstable. It's a reactive compound. It's all by itself down on the lower on 53, a lower row of the periodic table. No other nutrients there with the exception of molybdenum. So it's a very unusual atom. And iodide is its oxidized state. There are some formulations that have a mixture of the two, mm -hmm. but any way it comes into the body, once it interacts with the system in some way, it does oxidize. And so the body circulates iodide, and then it oxidizes that intentionally within the thyroid follicles. So there's an enzyme called thyroid peroxidase that's made for that purpose. You can think of iodine like a, like a hot potato or like a, 
a smoldering cauldron that you're holding with thick leather gloves and a large long tongs. That's what iodine is like. It'll react on the spot. And if the body's exposed to massive amounts of iodide, there can be so much that it spontaneously oxidizes into iodine. That's when we're seeing it become overtly toxic. And that's why the old medicine bottles had a skull and crossbones on there. Iodine is fatal in higher amounts. Yeah. So once you can form iodine in the kidneys or the liver or elsewhere, it's fatal. But otherwise, once it comes into the body, it oxidizes. So case in point, you get it on your skin. Back in the day, people thought that your skin color would change iodine, your skin color would change if you needed it. And what happens is when you put iodine in your skin, like a solution like Lugol's, the iodine portion of that is darker, but it oxidizes even if it's on contact with air. So any way it does contact the body or air, it readily oxidizes uh, visually that becomes clear, but the circulating form is iodide. Iodine is, it's almost like, like a free oxygen. It just can't hang out by itself for any length of time. Okay. And there's countless forms of iodine products. I'll talk about nascent iodine or Lugol's iodine or potassium iodide or atomic iodine or nanoparticles. And it's, it's an element, you know, so barring a particle accelerator, one cannot change the chemical properties of an element. It's, it, it does what it does because of its elemental properties. Okay. So what, what, what I've seen is in the people that I've, you know, listened to and studied so far is that they're telling me the doctors are saying that when somebody needs to take an iodine supplement, it also needs to have iodide in it and they've had better results with their, with their patients. Has that been the same with you? Um, no, to be frank. <laughs> and it's a funny thing. There's, there's a lot of popular ideas about iodine that came about around the beginning of the two thousands. And a lot of them, they make intuitive sense, but iodine just doesn't work like other nutrients. A lot of it just doesn't make intuitive sense. Okay. So here's the big question that I always have, because I like to get to the root of all problems. I personally, um, when in doubt, I always bet on nature. I'm, you know, I'm going nature. I grew up in the woods. I, it, nature's worked for me. I've been able to clean all these man-made toxins. Our company's called Chemical Free Body. We want to bring awareness to these nanoparticle microscopic toxins that are in the digestive tract and the blood, the fat and the muscle tissue, get that stuff out. So when we're talking about iodine, you just brought up nascent iodine. So my question is, is are you working with and aware of the differences of like rock form iodine, like from nascent iodine, they mine from earth crystals and they, they run it through chemicals and processes versus naturally occurring iodine and iodides like in kelp. And I saw that in your book, you had it at the highest kelp was at the highest rating, which is like 81,000 micrograms For in sure, like a liquid yeah. solution. Right. And from my school of thought is that if it comes in in its naturally occurring form, the body's very intuitive. It's, 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 it's been through the root system of plant in this case, kelp, right. Or dulse or whatever. And when it comes into the body, the body's going to use what it needs and it's going to discard the rest. That's been what I've learned uh, about naturally occurring compounds in nature, no man-made interference versus the, the rock form, the process form that has not been through the root system of the plant. That's not carbon-based. What can you speak on about those two um, opposites there? Yeah, there's a lot of things in nature that are, are not good for us. You know, we can get poisoned on plants quite readily. And kelp is a fascinating thing. So there's high amounts of iodine there. In cultures that consume the bulk of that, there's genetic variations that generally promote more tolerance of excess. But even with that, it's not a coincidence that Hashimoto's disease was discovered by a Japanese doctor. They have the highest rates of thyroid disease, thyroid cancer, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Mm -hmm. So there are many things in nature that I agree were adapted to various environments. And I'm, I'm with you on that same, that same bias. Uh, but you know, cocaine, gasoline, a lot of things that are natural are not things that we want in all amounts and all circumstances. <laughs> yeah. And just for the listeners too, um, Hashimoto was the doctor that pretty much discovered was hypothyroidism, right? Yeah. 1907, his work yeah. established that the immune system was driving it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a little factoid in case you anybody here <laughs> listening is on Jeopardy and Hashimoto comes up, you'll now win the match. That's very important. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay. So, um, what do you think about, um, cause you brought up also, uh, atomic, which, um, I think is a really cool thing. The ionic form 
of, of iodine. We're actually thinking about, I've been wanting to do this for a long time, but an iodine supplement, but we were going to use kelp extracts. Um, are you familiar with the process of micronization? Yeah, I am. Okay. So we were going to micronize that. And Dr. Treadway was telling me that I won't need to do anything else and that's it. But I would like to put some selenium in there from mustard seed and then possibly, um, and possibly some shilajit, which is a mineral that seems to boost and enhance and buffer um, a lot of stuff. So what are your thoughts on uh, uh, like a micronized supplement and should we, or should we not have selenium in there with it? So selenium is a great thing and it certainly does make people more tolerant of a range of iodine. But the question is just to whom is that for and who, who, is, who is deficient currently, you know, who is lacking in that? So the, back in 1992, we had 112 countries that sadly were considered severely iodine deficient. And there was a lot of efforts put in place to help with that. And by and large, it was a pretty big win. Mm -hmm. So by 2014, that number was brought down to zero. However, now we have 52 nations categorized as at risk for thyroid disease due to iodine excess. And the United States is one of those. And not even like good diet, bad diet. There's just so much of it now in many foods, we can get too much. And that's, that's the thing. That, that's the drawback is that we can have more than necessary. And that's not true of other nutrients. You know, any mm. other nutrient you want to name, there are many that can be low in them. There's a broad range of their safety. Iodine is the only one that has its own dedicated pump, its own concentrating mechanism. So it works unlike all the others. Yeah, I know you're following a lot of the science behind this too. So is the science when they're talking about adding or subtracting iodine from one's diet, are they talking about the rock form or are they talking about the naturally occurring carbon-based form? Do they make that distinction in the studies or is there, you know, half the studies are doing it on, you know, the synthetic kind and the other half are doing it on the naturally occurring or what's the ratio there? Well, again, iodine's properties, what it, what it does chemically is that it enters into the thyroid and however it gets in your body, whatever form it starts out as, it becomes iodide it circulates and the sodium iodide symporter is what draws it within thyroid follicles. So there's clusters of thyroid cells that concentrate it. They then make it into iodine. doesn't mm -hmm. matter how it starts. They make it into iodine. And when you've got amounts that are appropriate for your needs, or if you're someone who can tolerate the excess, it all works out great. That iodine is paired onto a protein called thyroglobulin. And you get this molecule of thyroglobulin, you've got about 11 to 13 iodine atoms, mm -hmm. and you can form uh, triiodothyronine, you can form uh, the main active thyroid hormones, and they come out great. However, when there's an excess, two bizarre things happen, one of which is that pump shuts down and the thyroid slows itself. So too much iodine slows the thyroid. If that didn't happen, extra, your thyroid just, would just pump out hormone in direct linear response to that excess. The drawback about that is it'd be lethal. You know, that extra hormone would shut down our hearts. So extra iodine slows the thyroid. The other thing that happens is it does get attached onto thyroglobulin. However, at the wrong places, there's dedicated tyrosol receptors where iodine fits, and there's other places where it can oxidize. So extra iodine oxidizes thyroglobulin and it makes it appear foreign to the immune system. It makes it look antigenic. Hmm. It also breaks down that enzyme thyroid peroxidase. That's why those are the two main targets of Hashimoto's. That's why we have antibodies against antithyroglobulin and antithyroid peroxidase. Thanks for breaking that down. So in the studies, again, do they, do they not clarify the difference between uh, a rock-based form or if it's naturally so, occurring. Yeah. So when you're talking about in your thyroid, there's not a difference there. It's the same element. Okay. So you're, so what I'm, what I'm saying is what you're, I guess what you're saying then is if it's nascent iodine or if it's iodine from kelp, you're saying that the thyroid treats it as the same. Correct. Okay. All right. So, so the studies are probably ambiguous as far as what iodine they're talking about then, or they just say iodine. They're in looking at, at dietary iodine and supplemental iodine. Both okay. have been looked at in those contexts. There's okay. got the, the beta data threads are are several. So they're they're epidemiologic. We see studies about populations or intake their disease risk. We also have mechanistic studies. So we look at how iodine acts on human cells in test tubes. And finally, mm -hmm. we have interventional studies. We have studies in which people are given more or less in their diet, more or less in supplements, and we see the outcomes. So those are the three main lines.
evidence that support the, the effects of iodine. Okay. And I also noticed in your book that you were, you were talking about something that, so your whole, the book flipped everything on me because I'm like taking less iodine is part of the reset. And we'll get to that in the next segment, but I want to go through your book and the reset and the maintenance phase. But um, I also noticed that you said that that people can take too much selenium as well, because I know selenium is kind of a buzzword around thyroid for people that are kind of in the know and they're, you know, for me, I want to have the best source. So I'm looking like there's a, there's a company called Eden, uh, E-I-D-O-N. They have ionic uh, selenium. That was actually recommended to my mother for her thyroid. And she puts like 20 drops in her green juice a couple times a day. And, um, and then there's also um, mustard seed, right? A naturally occurring mustard seed. So can we also get too much selenium? Is it similar to iodine? We sure can. And I, I don't know about the mustard seed form specifically. Uh, there's different versions of that chemically. And I'm aware of their chemical nomenclatures, the compounds that they form. And it appears that uh, selenocysteine is one that probably has the broadest range of safe application and the least toxicology. That's a predominant form in Brazil nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the form in all foods. For example, there's paradise nuts, which are not the same form. And those have caused selenosis. So this, it's really not a problem with, with foods, but there have been cases of supplements that were contaminated with extra amounts of selenium that did cause mm. cases of selenosis. What is selenosis? It's just toxicity from selenium. And it can cause just not, not like hair shedding, but like no hair everywhere, like just head to toe, total hair loss, severe skin damage. It, it can be fatal. You know, selenium is something we need in microgram dosages. And nutrients in general, they're, they're also important. And it, it's so easy to think that a nutrient, if we need it, then like more and more and more is better. But I've come to think of them like, you know, keys for your car. If you don't have them, your car doesn't budge, right? Yeah. But once you've got them, if your car is not working well, it's another problem. And there could mm-hmm. be a point at where 10,000 keys in your lap might even be a bad thing to get in your way. <laughs> so maybe if you got a guy and he's in his 40s and 50s and his hair's falling out, Maybe it's a combination of hot dogs with all the sauerkraut and the extra mustard on it, the French's mustard, <laughs> right? In terms, of, in terms of likelihood of events, that's probably not impossible, but I yeah. think that's quite low in likelihood. Right, like <laughs> white wheat bread. I mean, I used to eat the shit out of those things too, you know, those hot dogs and stuff. I loved them, but, um, you know, white enriched wheat bread probably got too much iodine in it. Right. Okay. So I'm sorry. So I talked about the mustard and the selenium. I'm not, right. I'm not that, I'm, 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 well, I'm doing a recap now. So I'm thinking about all of them. I'm like, well, we got this genetically modified whole grain wheat that's terrible for you. It's probably been iodized, you know, with the wrong kind. And then you've got, um, you know, the denutritive, you know, hot dog itself. Who knows what that thing's made out of? I know right. I, did, I did a st- study on um, that a long time ago and it said less than 0.02% was rat manure was in hot dogs. Oh, wow. and, I, and I was like, what? And I'm like, I stopped eating them like on the spot when I saw that study. You're, I'm like, that's totally disgusting. Right. But the processed bread too. And it's, and it varies so much from like slice yeah. to slice, even within a loaf. And yeah. even then they've shown that iodine as an ing- listed ingredient doesn't predict the, those that are highest in iodine versus those that aren't. So some say they've got iodized dough conditioners, but they're not always the ones that are highest. So mm. one more thing not to love about processed food is as bad as all this stuff is on the label, the stuff on the label isn't all the stuff that's in there. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. You, you know, it's like read your labels, but then a lot of times they're sneaky now. The laws yeah. that they have, like, you know, they can say natural flavors, but I researched that. And for 70 years, natural flavors means by law, only 10% has to be really natural up to 90% can be synthetic. And it's usually guess what? It's usually 90% synthetic because it's cheaper for the food manufacturers and has better shelf life and all that stuff. Just like when I was a financial advisor, people come in, they have mutual funds or whatever. And then I'd be like, well, let's see what fees you're paying. And I would say, this fee is anywhere from zero to 4%. And I'm like, find it on page 132 in their contract. And then we'd see that there. And then I'm like, okay, let's call them up and find out. Guess what the fee was almost every single time we called on those mutual fund managers? It's 4%. Zero to four, it was always at four. So, you know what I mean? They're always going to take advantage of that. It's the same thing with these food manufacturers. If it says they can put up to 90% synthetic and call it natural, that's why I tell people, if you see natural flavors, you need to run. It's the same thing. It might as well just say artificial. It's going to jack you up. So if I look at an ingredients list and it says natural flavors, I am not putting that crap in my body. It's not happening because it's just, I know that statistically they're going to screw up my body. 
right? Yeah. And this thyroid thing is a major issue out there. I mean, we've got um, Hashimoto's is up. I don't know. In your book, it said up 25 fold in women in their late 30s. Thyroid cancer is the fastest growing cancer in women today. Mm-hmm. This is a problem. Like this is a big problem. This is leading to weight gain fatigue. In fact, let's do this. Let's take another quick break. When we get back, I want you to get into, we'll get into like all the symptoms so that the people that are listening can say, oh yeah, I've got that. Maybe I need to look into checking out my thyroid. Cause maybe they, cause a lot of people, two thirds of them, I think aren't even, they got thyroid issues and they don't even know it. We'll be right back. You want the absolute best for yourself, and you want it to be easy. That's why we created Green 85. It helps with detoxifying the body gently. We're proud it's chemical-free, unlike almost all other supplements you'll find. Bottom line, Green 85 will get you healthier. We look forward to hearing what Green 85 did for you. To get this product and our other amazing products, go to chemicalfreebody.com. That's chemicalfreebody.com. Okay, Health Heroes, Tim James here. I'm back again with Dr. Alan Christensen. So, Dr. Christensen, um, what are, for some the people listening today, and guys, if you're listening to this and, you know, send this forward, this, do the ripple effect, you know, pay it forward because this, especially this section right here, you might have a friend or family member, office, coworker, whatever, they've got some issues. Maybe they've been struggling with weight, fatigue or whatever, and they don't even know they have a thyroid issue. So Dr. Christensen, what are some of the symptoms that people can experience when they have high or low thyroid issues? Yeah, it's a great question, Tim. So we we see symptoms related to things that can be symptoms that we just dismiss. We rack up to age, we think we're stuck with. So so weight um, comes on for no reason. It doesn't go away no matter what you do. You know, it comes back with almost no effort. That That's relevant. Uh, and then fatigue. So wiped out throughout the day, uh, crash in the afternoon, uh, exercise leaves you just shot for days afterward. Uh, hair, hair thinning, especially for women, especially more diffuse and even, mm-hmm. menstrual irregularities, digestive symptoms, chronic muscular pain. Those are the big ones. And they're really suspicious when they're things that are not, have not been normal for you, that they're new things that came on over some time frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially like the, you know, a lot of the women that we have fill out our health histories on our website to get a, a free coaching session with us. A lot of times they had birth control back in the day. Um, have you noticed any correlation with women that were on birth control, whether it be, you know, the pill or IUDs or combination and it seems like they're having issues with the weight and all that stuff. How, how are they and thyroid issues? Have you seen that to be the case? Yeah, there's very strong connections that way. So what happens is, Thyroid hormones are regulated in many ways. We control how much gets released and we control how much gets used. And there's a protein that binds up a lot of thyroid hormones and makes them not effective. It's called thyroid binding globulin. And oral contraceptives or non-oral contraceptives, they radically raise thyroid binding globulin. So they make Mm -hmm. your body more numb to thyroid hormones. Okay. You know, I was just thinking of something else that was... um brought to my attention years ago. So when you look at the the elemental chart, you have the four halogens there. You've got chloride, bromide, fluoride, and iodide, right? You got the mm-hmm. four. Um, I was told that one of the biggest problems we have nowadays is that the body looks at all four of those, excuse me, the thyroid. It's like, it thinks that chloride and fluoride are iodide. So the thyroid's sitting there and let's say the river's going by, and um, the thyroid's like a big uh, grizzly bear, right? And the fish are running up the river and there's sockeyes and Chinooks, there's different fish. And you, the, the bear really wants the Chinooks, right? It really wants those. And that's the thyroid wanting iodide, but up comes the river, there's some chloride from swimming pool or in your drinking water. And it's like, oh, I need some, there's some, there's some iodide. It grabs that fish and brings it into the eye and into the, into the um, thyroid. Or it might grab fluoride because you had fluoride in your drinking water or in your toothpaste or your kid was told to swish it around his mouth at school. So what I was taught was that what we need to do then is take a lot of iodine, iodide blend, and then basically over a three-month time kind of get all that other crap out. Is that the case? Is that the best approach? Or do you think it's just lowering it all? And do you think the body will over a few months, you think 
part of this is that maybe the thyroid is releasing this stuff that was holding onto that's not even iodine? You know, great question. That I understand that view. I've been, I've, I've read, I know where that's where that comes from and the sources of that. And there's partial truth there. So back in the day, before there was medications to slow the thyroid for Graves' disease, fluoride was used, and fluoride in doses excess of about 50 milligrams definitely can achieve that. Uh, lithium is a little bit different, but it can do that as well. So the question is whether or not other halides displace iodine, whether they bioaccumulate in the thyroid. And it's pretty bizarre. They, they did some studies looking at that in the 70s, and they went so far as to give high-dose bromide to people who were on thyroid treatment and some who were not. And what they found was that it just didn't do anything. You know, some people, their thyroid function got a little bit better. <laughs> and now we've come to learn that bromide is one of the last discovered essential minerals. Mm-hmm. We actually need it for basement membrane synthesis in cellular repair. So bizarre thing, but no one gets low in that. So yeah, the partial truth is that fluoride can be a problem in major excess. It can slow things down and as can lithium. Yeah. I wonder how that affects people that are um, uh, manic depression, you know, um, that have. Well, yeah, those that are treated with lithium for manic depression, it's just well known that hypothyroidism can be a side effect of that. And uh, in yeah. better circumstances, they're at least monitored for that. It's hmm. interesting. Yeah, I remember when I first started this work that I was told that the fluoride, the chloride and the bromide is bad. But recently, no, it was bromide's a necessity for us. Iodines, we need it. It was just the fluoride and the chloride. That was what we weren't really wanting in our yeah, system. They- They've done papers on how the affinity works for those compounds, and they, they actually don't have affinities for the 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 symporter, the sodium iodine symporter, and, and they don't so much build up in the thyroid, thankfully. Well, that's cool. Um, last side question before we get into the book and the reset part and the maintenance part, which is um, acne. How is this affected towards acne? Um, you know, not a lot of tight correlations. Uh, certainly thyroid disease does affect other hormones. And there are times to where it can cause abnormal amounts of androgens or it can relate to abnormal cortisol function. Those things can be larger drivers of acne, but not a classic thyroid symptom either way. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I was just curious on that one for a friend. Okay. So now let's get into the book. And I have it right here for those of you watching us on YouTube. Here it is, The Thyroid Reset Diet by Dr. Alan Christensen naturopathic medical doctor. And um, why don't you talk about the first part? Because there's kind of like our, we have a product called gut detox. And for the initial detox, they have to take three in the morning and three at night for 15 days. And then once that's done, they've cleaned out the digestive tract, the colon, drop that excess six to 12 pounds of all that impacted fecal material. If you guys haven't done this, get your bottle of gut detox and get started on it. It's the, along with water, it's one of the foundational things. We have to get that pathway of elimination cleaned out. But as far as your book goes, it looks like it's kind of the same. You have this reset period and then there's a maintenance period. So can you explain each one of those and how it's important? And then maybe you can tell a story of um, maybe like that one gal, Jennifer, that was in your book or somebody that recent, your clinic that's uh, worked, done the, the reset and then had success and then, you know, done the maintenance. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for that. So we, we saw this occur ourselves a lot to people that were following other dietary advice. And then there were studies of people that were going on low iodine diets for medical imaging and seeing how they often got better. So that spawned the research. And there's been several studies now showing that between 60 to 80% of people fully reverse their disease in a couple months. So those studies were done on diets that honestly weren't meant to be longer term diets. They weren't given a lot of thought for being nutritionally complete. And they weren't always made to be easy or tasty because they were thought they were only going to be done for short term. So I took those and took other things we know are relevant to the thyroid or relevant to overall health and just made a a good, simple diet out of that. So if someone has thyroid disease they wish to improve, they do the reset phase, which is just the green light foods. It's it's that easy. And I, I give ideas of here's menu planning, here's recipes. However, if someone is already on a plan, they're they're paleo, they're they're vegan. They can do that just as well by focusing on the green light foods within their options. Mm-hmm. Once your thyroid function stabilized, your iodine tolerance does improve and you do get more leeway back again. So then I encourage to loosen up a little if need be. And the maintenance plan is just stick with the green light foods, but add in one or two servings of the yellow light foods up to, up to that per day, per your preference. Mm-hmm. And you can do fine with that. Yeah. And guys, he's got this book. I mean, there is a lot of recipes. It's laid out really well. It breaks everything down for the scientists out there, the engineers that want to geek out on it. It's all in there. 
And for those of you that are plant-based or vegan or keto, you know, you can take these recipes and, and modify them very easily. Right. So, um, you know, and it's not like you're going to be missing out. I mean, there's eggnog for breakfast. You've got pumpkin pie delight. I mean, there's some pretty um, ginger spice shake, easy, easy breakfast, three ingredient pancakes. Um, for those that are eating meat, um, there's a lot of iodine in the yolks, but not in the whites. So that kind of goes with um, those big muscle builders that are always trying to eat 5,000 egg whites a day. <laughs> right. Ooh, here's a good one. Buckwheat berry porridge. Yummy. So, um, cool. So now I noticed also that, um, you'd mentioned rice in there. We typically, we try to get all of our clients off of rice unless it's hundred percent wild rice because they strip the bran off the rice, which is where 90% of the nutrition is. Um, can we just simply swap out rice and in like if, I, if some of my clients bought the book and it's just, uh, Oh, there's rice, Tim, doesn't believe in that or whatever. Can we just use quinoa? Is that okay oh, for iodine? Of course. Yeah. In terms of, in terms of whole grains and plant foods, there's very few that are high in iodine. So you got tons of options. So like and quinoa in, and teff and kamut and spelt were okay awesome with those. Awesome foods. Tim, I grew up in Northern Minnesota. I've spent some time harvesting wild rice. That's one of the best foods you can find. I love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What we and get back home is different than what you get in the stores too. It's, it's a great food. <laughs> yeah. And, and be careful too, guys, when you go to the stores, because again, the front of the package, man, it is a, it's like a, it's an illusion. It's like, you know, the guy uh, running the stuff behind the scenes there in the wizard of Oz, right? It's like the wizard back there. It's pulling on levers and stuff. So I remember when I first learned about this and I'm like, all right, I'm, you know, instead of buying these 25 pound bags of home, ice sticky rice that I used to love, but I was fat and I had skin issues and I was bleeding rectally. My elbows were bleeding with eczema. I was like, all right, I'm gonna heal myself up. And I went to get some wild rice. Well, the person that told me to eat wild rice wasn't very specific. Um, they said hundred percent wild rice. So I guess they were specific, but I read the front of the cover and it said wild rice. And I got home and I was pouring into the thing. And the first ingredient was freaking brown rice. <laughs> and the second ingredient was white wild rice. And I was like, dang it. You know, it's like, so the guys, the front of these covers is so deceptive. You have to read the ingredients. And more importantly, like what we do is I call these companies and I try to get to know who's the owner, who's behind it. Are they just a big board of directors that all they care about is profits or do they, do they have any missions out there? Are they really, are they giving back or do they have like really good products? What's the owner's belief? Are they, is the owner healthy themselves? Because if these companies get too big, they usually get bought up because of the shelf space because the big manufacturers, you know, like Nestle and Kellogg's, they want that shelf space. So they'll buy up companies like Burt B's got bought up and Tom's, uh, you know, toothpaste company. And then they start, they start messing around with the ingredients again, you know, so you got to be careful on what you. I got to send you some, some Lake Rice from Minnesota, Tim. It, it's yeah. not, it's not small and it's not black. They're yeah. big and they're, they're, they're very light tan. They look completely unlike the wild rice you get in the store. Oh, cool. That's good stuff. Dude, I, I'd love to have some. Thank you so much. I give myself a note for that. We'll make that happen. Yeah. So, well, is there anything else about the book? You know, we got the reset phase and then you've got the maintenance phase. I mean, you've got tons of recipes in here. You kind of lay it all out. Would you yeah, recommend? I guess one, one big point, thank you for asking. One big point that I always want to mention is that a lot of folks are already on thyroid medication and this can still help them, but you got to know that your medication needs can change rapidly and that will require retesting, adjusting. If you, it's just like you outgrow a shoe or something with no longer a good fit for you, the too much is hard on you by itself, but also if it's too much, that means your thyroid won't really get a chance to heal itself all the way. So yeah. if you do embark upon that, work with your doctor and recheck and understand that a taper process will probably be in your future. Awesome. Yeah, guys, and we don't really have time because we got to wrap the show up here, but in his book, there's a lot of questions that normal people, you know, that people are having all the time. Should I go ketogenic? What if I get too little iodine? Can I use the thyroid reset diet as a low iodine diet? How is the thyroid reset diet different from a low iodine diet? Do parasites like uh, uh, blastocystis hominis cause thyroid disease? What sh should I supplement with vitamin D? Should I, should I avoid soy? You know, there's a lot of uh, good questions and he answers in depth. Um, so I'd really recommend you guys get a copy of his book, The Thyroid Reset Diet, and take and glean from it what you can. Uh, he's put a lot of time and effort into it. And then just try things out. Maybe work with your local doc um, and say, hey, I've got this. Can you take a look at it? Or if they don't want to, then just take a look at it yourself. I always tell people, you got to take the reins back and take control of your health. Remember, you're hiring these doctors to help you improve your health, but they're not going to do it for you, 
right? So it really depends. I like to work with doctors that are healthy themselves, that have good results, that have patients that are getting results. Otherwise, you know, why would you want to go see a blind ophthalmologist? It makes no <laughs> sense or an overweight dietitian. You know, you have to be, I'm serious. Like, it's like, you have to be working with people that are getting the job done. And it's, this is the way it is in any industry, whether I was a loan officer, a financial advisor, whether I was a ditch digger, it didn't, it doesn't really matter. I'm a health coach, only about 5% of people in an industry really, truly care. And they really got their head screwed on straight. It's not that they know everything, but they're pretty successful in, in a lot of cases because, a lot of times they've just failed so much. They know what not to do. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and you're laughing, right? Because you've experienced this <laughs> over the years, you figure things out. <laughs> right. And then you learn things and then you're open-minded. See an open-minded doctor is one of the best people to have on your side. So like what we do is like, I look at myself, um, Dr. Christensen, like a general contractor of health. I help people get the basics in place. Let's purify your water. Let's purify your air at night, crack your windows. Let's make sure that all your clothing and bed sheets are natural fibers, no synthetics to be off gassing. Let's make sure that your head's not within three foot of a light socket when you're sleeping. It's because there's rogue electricity coming out of that sucker or buying a blocker that you can plug in there and block that stuff. Um, you know, I just go through all the basic stuff, detox in the gut. We, you know, flood the body with nutrition. And then usually in about six months, 80 to 85% of people have all these issues most of their symptoms are gone and there's the 10 to 15% that are left that 20% that are left that might need some targeted therapy. They might, you know, more monitoring. They got to, they got to figure it out. And that's where we bring in colon hydrotherapists. We bring in specialists like yourself and we, we hook them up with different docs or, or whatever we can do, you know, chiropractors, maybe it's a, maybe they have some subluxations that are, that are out of alignment and that's throwing off their nervous system to power their digestive tract. I learned that years ago. I had no idea. It's like, I could work my butt off, help somebody clean out their gut, but then they could have a, a misalignment in their back. And then the electric function going to the gut could be reduced by 10, 20, 30, 40, 60%. Well, we can't have that. So you just have to look at all these things, acupuncture, um, acupressure, um, uh, uh, Rol Rolfing, these Rolfers, these people that do the manipulations with the uh, fascia and stuff like that, they're really cool. So you know, just keep an open mind and try to find somebody who open-minded. And, and my God, if you are dealing with thyroid disease, um, whether it's hypo or hypo, you know, there are solutions out there and it could be as easy as just picking up this book and, you know, maybe going low iodine for a while and then following the maintenance. It could be that easy. you get about 75 to 80% ch uh, chance uh, shot at it. So why not try it? So, Dr. Christensen, thank you so much for being on today. Um, do you have any last words of advice for somebody that's been uh, that that's been struggling with um, with thyroid issues, or that might just be struggling with health issues in general? That and it might be thyroid related; and they don't even know it. You know, a big thing is um, find find some plans, do do things, be consistent, listen to what Tim is saying, and know that your body is resilient. You can do so much better, and I completely believe what he's saying as far as result people can get. So. Be persistent. Don't give up. Uh, take it by the reins, as he said, and, and you can make some big differences. Awesome. And where do they find you? What's the best place for them to get in touch with you? My easiest center of all that is drchristensen.com. Drchristensen.com? Dr. drchristensen.com. Okay. And that's C-H-R-I-S-T. I-A-N-S-O-N. S-O-N. Okay. And then you had another link down here. It was invisibleiodine.com. What's yeah, that yeah. about? So another cool option. There's a, there's a docu-series out right now, and it gives the story about how thyroid disease is on the rise, what these hidden sources can look like, and where you might find some of them. So yeah, invisible. Oh, is this, video, this like a video format, like a little mini documentary? Yep. Ooh. Hey, everybody loves a documentary. People like watching <laughs> movies. This is Hey, this is a good way to start, too. Get, go to invisible. I'm just, I'm just sharing this because I know it works. So if you yeah, have yeah. a loved one and you're listening and they're like, they never listen to you because they know you and like, what the hell do you know? The best way to approach this is to change yourself first, but always use, use movies. There's so many documentaries out there right now that can help. And if they have, just say, Hey, I found this thing about iodine and how it relates to health. I'm really interested in it. Um, let's watch it tonight. And that's probably the best thing for a friend or a spouse. Cause people are like, okay, they'll watch your, they'll watch a movie. You know, yep. and let the movie do the education for you and let them, you know, kind of steer them so it becomes their idea. So we'll put that one in the show notes. But guys, go to invisibleiodine.com. That's invisibleiodine.com. 
And um, you can get this documentary series on thyroid. And this is, a, I think, a great place uh, for you guys, if you haven't done your own research, to start with Dr. Christensen here and get his book, The Thyroid Reset Diet. So, Doc, thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate you. And um, thank you listeners around the world for tuning in. We really appreciate you. Without you, there's really no point in being here. And that's why we are here, because we keep getting calls and emails and stuff from you guys and people thanking us for um, the guests that we have on, the information that we're trying to bring to light. Um, We're not perfect over here. If we make a mistake, we tell people and we we move forward. But usually, you know, a majority of the time, we're kind of right on the money. And the bottom line is that you have to take this information and go try it for yourself. Uh, you know, everybody's different. Everybody's body's different. Everybody's environment is different. The relationships you have are different. The, you know, proximity to high power lines. And maybe you were born next, you know, you're in Flint, Michigan. Okay. That water might be worse than somebody up in Wenatchee, Washington. Right. So we have to look at all these different factors, but again, thank you so much for your comments. Thank you for your emails. Please leave a comment share this and pay it forward. And until next time, change yourself, change your world, and I'll see you again really soon. Thanks for listening again to The Health Hero Show. I'm your host, Tim James. And remember, change yourself, change your world, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Talk to you soon. You have just listened to The Health Hero Show with Tim James.